tonight. At this global event, this universal stage, whose storied past is rivaled only by the promise of an even bigger future. Millions will watch from around the world, waiting, anticipating for that next breathtaking moment. The stage is set. The time is now. History is at hand. This is WrestleMania. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. This is episode two, which means we are talking about WrestleMania 2. I'm excited for this WrestleMania. I've never seen it before. I've maybe seen clips, uh, maybe a couple highlight packages. But I am excited because we are in the midst of Hulkamania. It is April 7th, 1986. It's a Monday for some fucking reason. Let it be known, this is the only WrestleMania that was ever held on a Monday. Now, the taglines for WrestleMania 2 include the premier sporting event of the year and what the world has come to. WrestleMania 2 was very unique in the sense that it was held at three different locations in three different time zones. Location 1, the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York. Location number two, the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. And location number three, the Los Angeles Memorial Arena, not Coliseum, in Los Angeles, California. For this WrestleMania, for some fucking god-awful reason, they decided to split up the commentating teams. So Vince McMahon starts us off in Long Island with Susan St. James... Gorilla Monsoon is joined by Gene Oakland and Kathy Lee Crosby in Chicago. And Jesse Ventura has the distinct pleasure of working with Lord Alfred Hayes and Elvira. Hello, 1986. So glad you showed up. Susan St. James is an actress uh, at the time famous in the series Kate and Allie. And I don't know what that is, but it was the 80s. It was a ton of series that were on TV that were terrible. Kathy Lee Crosby, not Kathy Lee Gifford, is the TV host for the show That's Incredible. And of course, Elvira was famous at the time for Elvira's movie Maccabee. Now, a couple facts about WrestleMania 2. The combined attendance for all three venues was 40,085 people. Nice little number. Of course, it took them three venues to get there. The opening video, as I put on the WWE Network, is a jazzy little song with some some cool video packages and some 80s graphics. You guys, if anybody out there has ever seen the Arsenio Hall show, that's kind of what this reminded me of. Now, we finally get Vince welcoming us to WrestleMania. I knew it was there somewhere. I always thought it was in the first WrestleMania. Apparently, it was in the second. Vince McMahon and his little dimple chin introduce us to his color co-host and the number one actress today, 
Susan St. James. I have a feeling she's not the number one actress today. Just saying. And I mean for 1986, not today. I don't even know if she's alive. We get a real celebrity this time to start us off with America the Beautiful, sung by Ray Charles himself. The great Ray Charles. Now, here's, here's something that, that just fucking jumped out to me. I know it's 1986. I know where the money lays in this company. I get it, okay? But we have a video package while America the Beautiful is being sung, and it's all these amazing still shots of Americana. You know, you got the Mount Rushmore's in there, the Washington Monument. We get a picture of JFK. We get a picture of Martin Luther King. We get a picture of a soaring eagle. But to finish off America the Beautiful, we get a picture of Hulk Hogan pointing to the American flag. Huh. And then, just in case we didn't get the message, the final shot during America the Beautiful is Hulk Hogan with the American flag behind him with fireworks going off. I fucking kid you not. People these days talk about people being shoved down your throat. I have a really bad feeling I'm going to get really sick of Hulk Hogan during this podcast. But that's okay. Because that is something I'm willing to endure for the good of the show. We kick over to Gene Oakland in Chicago so he can take us back to New York. Huh. We go to a pre-taped interview with Rowdy Piper. Piper, all the confidence and bravado in the world. Even with Cowboy Bob Orton rubbing him in places he shouldn't be rubbed. Just saying. He's getting ready for his boxing match tonight with Mr. T. Piper, a little bit racist, says, I'll never shave my head like an Indian, and I'll never paint myself black. Well, you got half of that right. But that's for a future episode. We go down to the ringside. And Howard Finkel introduces Mr. Fuji, representing his client tonight, Don Morocco. First appearance for Mr. Fuji in WrestleMania. Good to see him here. His opponent tonight is a babyface, mind you, a babyface, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Now, I'm not quite sure why he's a babyface. All I know is that last year at WrestleMania, he ended the night by getting pinned by Hulk Hogan. And then freaked out when he realized Mr. T and Hulk Hogan were helping him out. So to that end, he must have turned on Piper at some point. And he is now Mr. Wonderful, the Wonderful Babyface. For some reason, the audio is kind of screwed up in this match. I don't know why. I think they were just working out the kinks when they went live on the air. Again, it's a Monday. We hear promos from both guys. And Vince tells us we're going to go to a video as the match gets started. But we don't see the video. We just hear Paul Orndorff talk as they're wrestling. It's a little bit weird. Vince says, let's take a look at some comments from Morocco and Orndorff from earlier on. And I feel like we were supposed to get video. Maybe even one of those little golden boxes on the left-hand side. Susan St. James tonight is providing some amazing commentary. She says things like, yeah, and all right. 
Why did they do this? Did they think they were going to pull in some type of women demographic by having women commentators? Like, you can tell none of these women know anything about wrestling or are there for anything more than an appearance fee. <sighs> we'll get to that. Now, one thing that's kind of weird here, during this match, and it was not a long match, Don Morocco is pouring sweat. And I mean he is pouring sweat. Kind of a little disturbing. You might want to have check that out, buddy. They fight to the outside. It's dark as hell because, of course, they only have the spotlight over the ring. And it's the Nassau Coliseum, so they probably don't have any other lights. The ref calls for the bell, and literally no one knows why. The Long Islanders start to chant bullshit. It's 1986, and they're chanting bullshit. Vince, to this day, refuses to repeat the chant and says that the Long Island crowd, uh, they, they're very disappointed in that outcome. Letting you know how they feel. I'm still waiting for Fink to announce who the winner is and why the bell rang. And I really can't blame the Long Island crowd. This match went 4 minutes and 10 seconds. So the curse of WrestleMania matches that are thrown on the card for people just to get a payday, but last under 5 minutes, continues right into WrestleMania 2. We then cut to Mr. T. We're going to go to pre-recorded comments from Mr. T. Mr. T is with Smoking Joe Frazier. And a little person is also with him. Uh, I honestly couldn't recall his name. And he seemed there just to be a hype man for Mr. T. During Mr. T's promo, we hear Howard Finkel announce the match. The result of match one. We hear it kind of. We can't really make it out. But the crowd reacts to it. And, again, I'm assuming this is some type of fuck-up. We then go to the ring, and I know, I know that a professional like Vince McMahon would tell us, hey, that last match ended in a double count-up. Nope! Don't fucking say a goddamn word about it. The only reason I know the match ended in a double count-up is because Wikipedia told me so. So thanks, Vince, you fucking retard. Even in 1986, you can't even be a good fucking commentator in 86. Anyway, the second match on the card features George the Animal Steel versus Randy Macho Man Savage for the Intercontinental Championship. George Steel gets the jobber entrance, and Savage gets to come out to pomp and circumstance. This is Randy Savage's first WrestleMania match, and he is just as glorious as he's always been. Now, Savage won the title from Tito Santana in a house show in Boston after Santana won it from last year's champ at WrestleMania, Greg the Hammer Valentine, in a steel cage. Now, the whole story leading up into WrestleMania 2 is that for some god-awful reason, George Steele is obsessed with Miss Elizabeth. And even at this point, Macho Man's got the reputation, character-wise, of treating Liz like shit. And George is such a, you know, he's a nice guy, he's a sweet guy, he doesn't want to see Liz get treated like that. Now, the belt design is different from WrestleMania 1, and this is the belt design that we would get all the way until The Rock changed it in 1998. This is the classic IC title design, the one that Ultimate Warrior had, the one that Mr. Perfect had. I fucking love this design. And Macho Man carries it well. Savage spends the first part of the match, though, avoiding George Steele. 
Literally. He's running out of the... He, he literally jumps over the top rope just to get away from him. And then he, he proceeds to run around the ring. And I almost thought at one point he was going to put Liz in front of him because he's such a good heel right now in this match. George Steele finally catches him and tries to bite his calf through his boot. So I'm sure that's effective. Macho Man gets tossed out of the ring, but cleverly goes under the ring. And George Steele, the dumb bastard, sits there and goes, Where'd he go? Where's Stan? Savage comes out from the other side, attacks him from behind. The attack doesn't last long, however, as the animal counters a clothesline by biting Savage in the forearm. I've never seen a clothesline countered by that. Savage then gets a bouquet of flowers from someone outside, and he starts using it like it's a steel chair. It's a fucking bouquet of flowers, but I am not kidding you. He starts using it like it's a steel chair. Referee doesn't call for the bell because who the fuck knows if flowers are a foreign object. George Steele starts to eat the turnbuckle and shoves the stuffing in Macho Man's face, which I find pretty funny. Of course, George Steele eventually sees Elizabeth on the outside and gets all bashful and, and distracted, which allows a double axe handle by Savage. He follows up with a body slam and then his patented flying elbow. One, two, kick out? What the fuck? They're already prostituting. You know what? Here we go. Here we go. A long, long story tradition of people kicking out of finishes at WrestleMania. Ugh, apparently this is where it all started. Even Vince is like, I've never seen anybody kick out of that, which is kind of funny, because Savage has had, what, six TV appearances at this point for the WWF? Maybe ten? Whatever. It's WrestleMania, so you know somebody's kicking out of a finisher. However, very shortly after that, Savage gets him down, and then he pins him with feet on the ropes. Savage grabs his title and gets the fuck out of there. George Steele is mad. He's mad. He's disappointed. So he rips open another turnbuckle and starts eating it. And you know what? I think he seems good with that. We go over to Chicago, where Gene is with Bill Fralick of the Atlanta Falcons one of the participants in tonight's 20-man battle royal, and Big John Stud. So we have the football player and the wrestler. And what do you know? They just do nothing but talk shit to each other. I know, shocking, right? A 20-man battle royal featuring NFL players. This could be kind of brutal. Gene asked for a little decorum here. And Stud and Freilich start to get a little chippy with each other. Back to New York, and Vince and Susan are sitting on some comfy couch seats. Literally, it looks like a fucking talk show. And Vince asks her the all-important question, Susan, do you like snakes? To which, of course, Susan replies, Fuck no! Well, no, she didn't say fuck no, but her face kind of said fuck no, and her response was pretty close to that. And we start to hype match number three. George Wells versus Jake Roberts. Fun fact, Jake made his WWF, sorry, WWF, in-ring debut three weeks before WrestleMania. 
Jake Roberts is the Fandango of 1986. We found out George Wells was a star in the CFL. Good for him. Another fucking football player. Wells beats on Jake until a thumb to the eye stops Wells dead in his tracks because Jake Roberts. Jake nails him with a DDT and we get the one, two, three. Literally, there really wasn't much else to this match. It was pretty fucking short. Uh, Post-match, however, in what seems like a dangerous move, Jake, Jake takes Damien out of the snake bag. And then he wraps it around Wells' neck. Now, I don't know what they did to the snake to make sure that it didn't kill George Wells. But this is 1986. And taking a giant, and I mean a fucking giant python, and wrapping it around a man's neck, it just doesn't seem safe. Wells feigns foaming at the mouth. But the snake seems as uninterested in Wells as I am. Sorry. Sorry, George Wells. Just didn't do it for me. For the first time tonight, we go to Los Angeles, where Jesse Ventura is with the immortal Hulk Hogan. For some reason, I have no idea if it's because of the steroids. I have no idea if it's because of the fucking weightlifting. For some reason, Hogan's head, his fucking skull, especially like the front of his dome, is huge. If anybody has ever seen the Simpsons episode way back in the day where they have all the baseball players on there, and one of them, I think it's Ken Griffey Jr., is drinking this old-school Mr. Burns tonic, and his head just swells up. That's what Hogan looks like. We go up to the Fink to introduce celebrities for no fucking reason. Joan Rivers is our guest ring announcer for the next match, because she's a fucking thing in 1986. Daryl Dawkins is a guest judge. Cab Calloway is a guest judge, and even <clears throat> G. Gordon Liddy, Liddy is a guest judge. I don't know who the fuck that is. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you people and tell you I know who that is. I don't know who that is. Fuck it. Also, Herb is the official timekeeper. Not a Herb. Just Herb. Our fourth match of the night is the much-anticipated boxing match between Mr. T and Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Piper comes out in a plaid robe to match the kilt, and I get a kick out of that. Now, Vince McMahon calling boxing is interesting because he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. And I give him credit. You know, a lot of people will rip on Vince for his play-by-play back in the 80s, but he really tries during this match. Uh, however, this match just kind of falls flat. You know. Mr. T goes down twice at the end of the second round. Uh, Bob Orton trying to help by throwing water in his corner while T is there. It's a little bit weird, but whatever. Uh, Mr. T owns the third by backing Piper into a corner and beating him down. Piper gets knocked down so hard that he literally falls out of the ring, which I find pretty funny. And at this point, in the fucking fourth round, mind you, Piper gets wicked pissed off, he shoves the ref, he picks up Mr. T and body slams him. And boom, Piper's disqualified, people. Because guess what? You can't body slam somebody during a boxing match. All hell breaks loose as Piper's corner 
and ring officials and Mr. T's corner do this huge pull apart. And to be quite honest, I'm bored. This is why you don't have boxing during a wrestling show. In fact, I'm going to invent the time machine. I'm going to tell Vince this now so that we don't have to deal with the Brawl for All in 1997. We hear the great Gorilla Monsoon for the first time as we go to him, Gene, and Kathy Lee Crawford. I gotta admit, Kathy Lee Crawford is a babe, and she kind of looks exactly like Vanna White. It's the first thing I thought of, especially in 86. We go for match number five. We have the women's title as champion Fabulous Mula defends her belt against Velvet Sky. I mean, uh, Velvet McIntyre. Same thing, right? The 80s version of Velvet Sky. Except for much more lankier and even less talented. Mula beats her in under a minute. I'm not fucking kidding you. She smothers her with her old fun bags and just pins her. That's it. Because it's 86, and it's women's wrestling. The next match pits Corporal Kirshner against Nikolai Volkov with Classy Freddie Blassie. Now, I was not aware of who Corporal Kirshner was. Didn't ring a bell. Uh, Turns out this guy actually did some tours in the Middle East. He was a real-life soldier. And uh, after that, he started to be a wrestler. Uh, He didn't last too long. He was a little bit stiffsky, and uh, nobody wanted to work with him because uh, he couldn't tone it down. He didn't know how to work. He he just was a soldier. Whatever it works for the evil foreigner versus super over United States guy, uh, crowd loves them, some Corporal Kirshner, and they fucking hate Volkov and continue to throw trash at him like it's last year's WrestleMania. During the match, referee goes down, Blasty throws his cane to Volkov, here we go. But, interception by Kirshner. Go up there and get that shit. Turns around, nails Ivan Volkov, or I'm sorry. Turns around, nails Nikolai Volkov. Ref doesn't see it, and he covers Volkov for the three counts. So the good old boy, the soldier from Alabama, just used a foreign object on a foreigner. And the crowd loves it. Eh. Literally less than two minutes. That was how long that match was. I'm just saying. Nothing says patriotism like a foreign object. Next up, we have the much-anticipated 20-man battle royal, because who doesn't love seeing NFL players and wrestlers mix it up? Notable timekeeper, and I popped huge for this, the Where's the Beef Lady? For real. I don't think she knew what the where the fuck she was or what the fuck she was doing there, but there she was. The, and they literally had a graphic underneath it that said, the where's the beef lady? Some notable, some notable football players that were in this battle royal that I knew. We have William the Refrigerator Perry. Uh, that's about it. I didn't really know anybody else. Uh, here's some other wrestlers. Tony Atlas, Ted Arcidi, Pedro Morales was in this match. A blonde, and I'm not shitting you, a blonde Dan Spivey. Far, far, far removed from his Waylon Mercy character ten years later. 
uh, Hillbilly Jim, Andre the Giant, King Tonga, who of course is Ming, Iron Sheik, the Killer Bees, who come out dressed in yellow and black, because I guess that's their shtick. The Hart Foundation is in there, a very young Bret Hart. Big John Studd, of course, because it's a battle royal. And here's somebody making their WrestleMania debut, as far as in-ring action. The one, the only, the living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Now, I did not realize this. This was Sammartino's only in-ring pay-per-view match. And guess what? He's still over. People still love Bruno. Now, for some reason, Andre decided to go tanning for this, so he's a lot darker than he usually is, which was kind of weird. And then he has these big yellow trunks on. Like, Hogan ordered trunks and was like, fuck, I, they sent me the wrong size. They're like a 5XL. Here, Andre, you want these? And Andre was like, oh, I'll wear them in my next match. I don't know why Andre turned into Arnold, but whatever. Dan Spivey at this point, by the way, is called the Golden Boy. And he looks like Hulk Hogan. It's a little bit weird. Final four in the Battle Royal. Andre the Giant. Bret Hart. Jim Neidhart. And just because the NFL did us some favors, NFL player Russ Francis. He's the first one to go out of the Final Four. Hart Foundation double-team Andre. But he pretty much dispatches them easily and quickly. Andre eliminates Anvil. And then he gorilla presses Bret Hart onto Anvil on the outside for the win. Andre the Giant still super over. But a year from now, when we get to WrestleMania 3, I don't think he's going to be like that much. Following the Battle Royal, we go back to New York, where Vince McMahon is with Rowdy Piper. Rowdy, why would you do that? Why would you body slam the man? Well, you know something? Yeah, okay. That's enough of that. Then we go back to Chicago, and Mean Gene is with some of the losers from the Battle Royal, because that's who I want to hear from, is the losers. Because that makes sense. Luckily, it does not last long. The next match actually turned out to be a great one. The Dream Team, with luscious Johnny Valiant, Versus the British Bulldogs. Next match, we get our WWF Tag Team Championship match. We, as we have the Dream Team with Luscious Johnny Valiant, consisting of Brutus Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine, versus the British Bulldogs with their captain, Lou Albano. And not only Captain Lou Albano, but also the one, the only, the biter of the heads of bats. Ozzy Osbourne is there. Now, I know Ozzy is there, and the crowd in Chicago knows Ozzy is there. I don't think Ozzy knows where he is, but that's, you know, it's 86. There's a lot of drugs. It's okay. The Dream Team comes to the ring, and they are wearing the classic WWF Tag Team titles, the ones that we all remember growing up that the Legion of Doom had in Demolition, and I loved that belt style. Much better than the pennies they have now. Oh, I'm sorry. They called them silver, so I guess they're nickels now. Now, during this match, Dynamite Kid, who I never really saw that much of, man, he is intense. Uh, you can see where some other people kind of took his style, because uh, 
he is probably one of the most physical guys for this time period that I've ever seen. Uh, everything, every move he has, every every chop, every uh, strike, uh, you know, to be honest, every suplex is done with such vitriol that it's, like, so believable, especially in this day. And Davey Boy is fine. You know, he, he's, he's a fine, decent worker. You can tell he's very young, maybe a little bit green. Uh, but they're in there with, you know, a ring vet like Greg Valentine. Uh, Brutus is coming into his own at this point. And this actually turned out to be, surprisingly, a really good match. You know, they kind of did the classic, um, you know, beat down one of the faces until the hot tag gets made. And once Dynamite goes in there, it's friggin' off to the races. I loved every second of this. Now, the Bulldogs are victorious despite the hammer kicking out of the running power slam. Because, you know, WrestleMania. The finish comes when Davy Boy throws Valentine into the corner and his head collides with Dynamite. And Dynamite literally looks like he got fucked up here. Dynamite goes flying to the outside and Hammer gets pinned quick. So I'm like wondering, you know, was that supposed to happen or did they just have to end that real quick? Whatever. British Bulldogs are the new tag team champions. Mean Gene Oakland is in the ring as he tries to get word with the new champions. But it's Captain Lou and Ozzy Osbourne who are in there to celebrate, holding up the titles like they actually did something. Lou Albano gets interviewed first. He can't even speak right. Then Gene Oakland interviews Ozzy Osbourne and says, Yeah, the Bulldogs! Ah, British Bulldogs forever! Kathleen Crosby asks Ozzy, Hey, Ozzy, is it... Are you going to be back? Are you going to be back in the corner of this team? And Ozzy says, oh, yeah, yeah, many times. I guarantee you, he does not go back in their corner or have anything to do with them after this WrestleMania. They try to get comments from the champions. Uh, Dynamite can barely stand up, let alone talk. And Bulldog says, I told you if we won, we would stay in this country. So guess what? We're staying in this country. So if you didn't win, you were just going to go back to England? Huh. That would have done wonders for your career. Pandemonium here in Chicago. As we go to our next match. Now we finally go over to our correspondence in Los Angeles. Jesse Ventura, Lord Alfred Hayes welcome us to L.A. And Elvira's there. Kind of. Next match, we have Hercules Hernandez versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, one thing I gotta tell you, Steamboat's work rate in this time period is fucking unparalleled. This guy is going at 100 miles an hour. Everybody else is in the school zone going 20. Nice physical match here with Steamboat and Hernandez. Hercules Hernandez, forgive me. Of course, later in a few years, we would know him as just Hercules, proving that even back then, Vince McMahon hated two names. Steamboat wins with a flying crossbody. Great match. Great physical match. Uh, Steamboat's over. Can't wait to see him next year at WrestleMania 3. Next up, the adorable one. The adorable Adrian Adonis versus Uncle Elmer. Now, Adonis, and mind you, this is 86, 
has a shit ton of makeup on. I'm talking more makeup than David Bowie. And you want to talk about androgynous characters? He's wearing a dress that belongs to a grandmother with pink flowers on it and a pink bow in his hair. Now, I honestly had no idea who Uncle Elmer was. He it just looks like a fat bastard wearing overalls uh, coming out to a country song. Apparently, that's all he really is. He was associated with Hillbilly Jim, and they had this little country boy faction. Uh, Uncle Elmer looks like a Wyatt, but he looks like a Wyatt that swallowed Bray Wyatt, and Bray's like living in his stomach. Adonis wins with a splash from the top, and then takes a cheap shot after the match for no reason. Jimmy Hart's loving every second of it, and during this, Adonis sticks the bow that was in his hair on the back of Elmer. Because, shame. Jesse Ventura then sends us to Lord Alfred Hayes, who's with Hulk Hogan backstage. The only thing is, Lord Alfred Hayes was literally just talking about the previous match with Jesse not three seconds ago. So either he runs super fast, or this was pre-recorded. Lord Alfred Hayes asking Hogan the tough questions. Hulk, are your ribs busted? Are you going to be able to go? Hogan does what Hogan does best in this time period. He talks them all into the seats. We get one more match before the main event, and that is the Funk Brothers, Terry and Hoss Funk. That's fucking right, Hoss Funk, because God forbid they call him Dory Funk Jr., versus the team of Tito Santana and the Junkyard Dog. Now, not for nothing, it's a little hard for me to look at Tito Santana with the Junkyard Dog as a serious tag team when I know that Strike Force is coming in the next couple of years in this timeline. So this is exactly what it looks like. It is a thrown-together tag team for a big match spot. Terry Funk proves he's still a crazy, mean old bastard, even in 1986. The batshit crazy Texan starts the match by throwing chairs into the ring like he was in the ECW arena. But he's not. He's in Los Angeles in 1986. Now, Funk botches a fall to the outside, so Tito Santana helps him out with a stiff-as-shit clothesline. Later on in the match, Junkyard Dog takes Terry Funk's head bashes it against the turnbuckle probably about 65 times. I'm not kidding. That crowd loved every second of it, so whatever the fuck, right? Elvira spends this entire match fantasizing about their chunks getting ripped off. I shit you not. At one point during this melee, Junkyard Dog gets distracted by Haas on the outside. The referee gets distracted by... I don't know, honestly... I have no idea why he's not paying attention, but he's not, which allows Jimmy Hart to throw the megaphone to hot, to Terry Funk, and Terry clocks JYD over the head with the megaphone to get the one, two, three. Moving right along, it is now time for our main event of the evening. Champion Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy. Now we go to a pre-taped uh, interview that Gene Oakland conducted with Hulk Hogan at his private gym. Hogan's lifting weights, but his ribs are all taped up, and there is a doctor there, just happens to be hanging out there for interview purposes, 
that says he has advised Hulk not to wrestle tonight, and he doesn't think it's a good idea with those with those bruised up ribs. Hogan, however, says it's the power of the Hulkamaniacs that keeps him going, and even if he's not 100%, he's coming for you, King Kong Bundy. We are told that this special blue bar cage is being used because it is specially reinforced to hold the 450-pound frame of King Kong Bundy. Well, there you go. That's where this whole reinforce the cage thing started. So screw you, Big Show. Bundy comes out to the ring, and I swear to God, he is the epitome of Humpty Dumpty. He is just this one giant egg shape with this like huge neck roll. And he is accompanied to the ring tonight by the incomparable Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, here's a little story that I read when I was doing some research for this podcast. Apparently, Heenan's neck had been bothering him at this point, which is well documented, to the point where he was hospitalized the night before Mania. And as the story goes, he didn't know if he was going to be able to make it to WrestleMania 2, and he got a call that morning from, quote-unquote, the office, that said he better make it to WrestleMania 2, or he would be fired. Heenan made it to WrestleMania 2, and had an amazing show in the main event, which we'll get to in just a second. But can you imagine what the WWF would have been like if Heenan had not made it to WrestleMania 2 and was subsequently let go? God almighty, that might have changed the course of history. That's how much impact that guy had. Our special guest ring announcer tonight is Tommy Lasorda, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, because WWF at this point loved them some baseball managers. He gets to introduce the reigning, defending WWF champion, Hulk Hogan. Hogan comes out there, his ribs are heavily taped, but he's running through the cops that are surrounding him as he's going to the ring. And he starts shaking the cage outside like he's friggin' the Ultimate Warrior. Hogan then climbs up to the top of the cage, and rips his shirt off, and the crowd is going apeshit crazy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen to Hulkamania. We start this match, the only way to start this match, with Hogan, the babyface, mind you, taking the tape off his wrist to choke Bundy with it. This is quickly explained by the commentators that anything goes in a steel cage. Now, here's an interesting concept as well, is that Jesse the Body Ventura is forced to do play-by-play on this team as Lord Alfred Hayes is too scared or too drunk to do anything about it, and Elvira doesn't even know why she's there. Jesse Ventura is forced to do play-by-play, even though his character hates Hulk Hogan. It's a very weird dynamic. Bundy tries to escape, but Hogan stops him the only way you can stop a 450-pound man, and that's grab onto his ankle. Bundy then starts going to work on the ribs. Rips off the tape to choke Hogan with it, and then, in a nice touch... He uses that tape to tie Hogan's arm to the bottom rope. Hogan escapes that, though, and stops Bundy from leaving the cage. How, you ask? By gouging his eyeballs from behind. Again, Hogan, the baby face. Hogan sends Bundy face first into the cage, and apparently King Kong Bundy at this point forgets where the hard cam is. 
Bobby Heenan literally has to reach in the ring through the bars and hold his arms over Bundy's head so he can blade. I am not fucking kidding you. Go back and watch it. And that uh, the whole reason Heenan is there at that point, and the whole reason he puts his arm in, in the cage, is so that the camera can't pick up Bundy ble- uh, blading. Jesus Christ, King Kong Bundy. Would you forget where the hard cam was? Bundy gets up. He's bleeding. Hogan then tries to body slam him. And for anybody that's ever watched a John Cena Big Show match, you know what happens the first time he tries to body slam him. He tries to get him up, but oh, those ribs can't hang. They can't take the pain. Oh, his poor back. And Bundy falls right on him. Splat. This allows Bundy to get the advantage. And he starts beating on Hogan. Not for that long, though. Throws him into the corner, hits a big avalanche splash, and we get no cell city as Hogan starts going into his shaking and pervious to pain shtick. Hogan sends Bundy into the cage again, and then from the momentum picks him up and body slams King Kong Bundy, all 450 pounds of him. Hogan off the rope, and we get our first WrestleMania leg drop. However, this cage match has no pinfalls, so Hogan, very anticlimactically, starts climbing to the outside until Bundy tries to stop him. Hogan then uses one kick to get rid of Bundy, scales the cage, and wins the match. However, we're not done here. Remember I told you, Bobby Heenan's neck was bothering the shit out of him, but yet, ever the amazing professional and performer that Bobby Heenan was... He then starts running from Hogan. Hogan starts chasing Heenan. Hogan traps him in the cage. And Hogan starts bouncing Bobby Heenan around the cage like a pinball. A vicious atomic drop sends Bobby Heenan flying out of the cage. And Hogan poses in front of the L.A. crowd as we go off the... No, we go to Vince McMahon. We go to Vince McMahon in New York who thanks us for WrestleMania 2. And now we start going off the air. What? What? Really? We really had to throw back the Vince at that point? Whatever. Guys, this WrestleMania was interesting, to say the least. Uh, I think it really kind of suffered from having the three venues and, and three commentating teams in three different time zones. Uh, from what I read, there was all sorts of problems at the arenas for the people who were trying to view the show's or the matches from the other arenas, and some some of them couldn't, and just a mess. Now, my favorite match of the night, surprisingly, ended up being the Dream Team versus the British Bulldogs. Great classic tag team match, and to see Dynamite work in this era is really a treat. If I had to specifically label one disappointment, though, it was the Piper-Mr. T boxing match. First of all, boxing shouldn't be on a wrestling card, and we know this. But what makes it worse is when they weren't really boxing. You know, the the whole shtick lasted about six minutes. The whole hype for the match lasted about 17. I didn't like it. Not even Piper could save that fucking segment, in my opinion. Overall, I would say this WrestleMania was fair to Midland. But I'll tell you this, I'm looking forward to WrestleMania 3 in the Pontiac Silverdome. Brother! Thanks to everybody who downloaded the podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. 
Check out all of the shows on the Questionable Endeavor Network, including the other shows on the Rundown feed. The Rundown Sit-Down set to return soon. New episodes of Glow Stick are now available. NXT Revisited has returned to the feed. Nitro Mania reviewing the early days of WCW. And of course, the flagship show itself, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. With your host, Jason and Troy. And sometimes I'm on that too. Had a blast, guys, and I will see you next time.